0: Welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. Good to be with you again. My name is Mike Rankin. James Fox, as always, alongside me, we have plenty to discuss, despite there not really being much uh, uh, much news in Major League Baseball these days. The owners and players still have not come to an agreement. And I guess, James, according to reports, uh, well, we better get used to it. And over the next few months, we can expect the same. And uh, I, I guess they operate better when the deadline approaches closer. Uh, that's at least the perception that I'm getting.
1: Yeah, so it seems, I guess, like, good to be with you. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of ridiculous that they, like, can't just, like, sit across the table from each other and do it now, and they have to wait, but it seems like, yeah, it seems like they're going to wait. Um, I, get, I, I would still expect the season to start on time, because missing any game seems really stupid, but for the purposes of what we do, though, there will be minor league spring training on time, so... Now, you know, your Blake Rutherford's of the world and those type guys that are on the 40-man will not be there, but all the prospects will be in Arizona, like, whenever they're supposed to report. So that'll be interesting if, like, you know, you're still in talks at the time. Because, like, I do think they'll they'll be talking, like, by the end of the month, but there's still going to be, like, all the hand-wringing. Like, anybody that's read Jeff Passon or read any of the stuff on The Athletic, like, it seems like Jeff Passant and and ken rosenthal like kind of have the path towards a deal right but they actually have to like talk about it and get there you know and like do their horse trading and whatever that's the annoying part so you know like there there will be a deal and there will be some crazy like free agent and trade frenzy that part will be awesome um i just have no
0: idea how soon that's gonna be players still need to get paid and rosters need to be filled out. So that's something to keep in mind as well. It's a very unique situation. But you mentioned the fact that minor league players can report to spring training and they'll start to work out. And we see minor league deals occurring all off season to this point. So that is continuing. We're also keeping an eye on the international signing period, James, which we are going to touch on on this episode of the podcast. I know you have a lot to say. Eric Hernandez, Oscar Colas news, as well as the main topic of conversation that we have today over at futuresocks.com, you can check it out. I'm sure those who have listened have already done so, but please do if you haven't already. We have our top positional prospects list on the site. Check those out. We have every position covered. Catchers, corner infields, middle infielders, outfielders. It's a lot of really interesting stuff, thanks to Jasper Roos and, of course, Ken Sowelcheck, Sleepy Harold, Steve Hasman, our guy, and James and Sean Williams. Like we're, our, our team's the best. I love it. So let's get into the topic of conversation at hand. And that's the positional prospects that we rated, you know, top five in the system across the White Sox board. We'll begin at catcher, James. Now, this is an interesting list to me because obviously the at the big league level, catcher depth is, well, how do I put it? It's not controversial, but maybe not exactly where we want it to be as fans. Not to knock Zach Collins, not to knock Sebi Zavala, but those are your primary backups at this point. You'd like to upgrade at that position just based on production. Um, defensively especially, and we should shout out Jeremy Mercedes as well, the man can mash, but how much are we going to see him behind the plate? Now that leads us to the five that we listed uh, as the top prospects at the position at the catcher spot in the White Sox system. Now overall, James, let's get your take on how you feel about where the White Sox stand currently at catcher at the big league level and why it's important we're focusing on the five prospects here that we listed on Futuresocks.com. So obviously they have one of the best catchers in baseball, like on the major league team,
1: but they really, like you were talking about, like they don't, they don't have a backup. Like, you know, I've been a Zach Collins guy, you know, in the past, but you know, we've kind of seen his struggles. We've seen Sebi Zavala in a, you know, limited sample. My guess is that their big league backup catcher, like isn't on the team yet. Like I'm sure they'll, you know, they'll get a veteran or they'll get somebody or they'll trade for like a young backup type. So, you know, the thing that, makes that worse i guess is that you know with the list that we put together like i think catcher might be the the weakest spot in the in the farm system right now like i think when you look at some of these other lists that we posted or wrote up you know there's some intriguing guys like in the middle infield and in the corner infield and some other spots i think catcher we really struggled to kind of figure out like who to put first right like i wouldn't be surprised like carlos perez Is a guy that we've talked about, he, he had a pretty good year in Birmingham. He was always very like respected defensively. Um, You know, he's like, it was league average offense in that league. Um, But I mean, like he's a, he profiles as a backup. Like he could be in a, he could be in the big leagues, but it's just tough to put like a projected 25 year old backup, like as at number one. So, you know, ultimately we decided to go with Adam Hackenberg um, he's interesting. He's the brother of Christian Hackenberg, obviously, who played at Penn State and for the Jets. Um, he was taking the 18th round last year out of Clemson, and like Mike Shirley was very excited about taking him. You know, and like the area scouts were too. They did say like, you know, he's a plus defender. He's six two, two twenty five. He was like a redshirt sophomore, so he was a little young, but he suffered like a ton of injuries at Clemson. But he was always like really good when he played. Um, so, you know, he was, he was always kind of just interesting and he went to Canapolis and he was really good in a small sample <clears throat> at Cannapolis. And, um, you know, I talked to somebody who he's going to be in the top 30 list whenever baseball America like releases their top 30. So, you know, it just seemed logical for, for us to also have him as the top catcher,
0: even though I don't think we've seen him in person. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I don't, have we had any? Uh, maybe Michael Guarlia caught him a few times in Kanapolis, uh, one of our writers in the Kanapolis area. You know, I like the idea that you mentioned um, the Baseball America's Top 30 list and the fact that Hackenberg could be included in there. You mentioned his time in Kanapolis last year in 21 games, 86 plate appearances. He slashed 346, 384, 457. That's an 841 OPS, but he hit 346 uh, in his first full season of. Professional baseball, or at least in 21 games of professional baseball, I should say. When I say full season, I mean, you know, you're a part of the full season minor league affiliate and there's no more short season. Um, so keep that in mind. But that low A, Canapolis, there's production there. And you mentioned Carlos Perez as well. I mean, that's an example of organizational depth. Uh, and like he's been in the system since 2014. So this is a guy that we're familiar with um, and he can handle his own. So if they're in a pinch, Perez is there, but like you said, he maxes it at a backup. Listed at number 3 on our catchers list. Anybody else that you should uh, maybe make a point of of talking about before we move on to another uh, another positional list here, James?
1: Yeah, so we you know, we've ranked Jefferson Mendoza in the past. He's a 20-year-old. He was an international signing out of Venezuela. That's where all the catchers come from generally is Venezuela. He had a he kind of had a really good year um in 2019. Showed big power and a good walk rate, um but he he really struggled in Arizona. Um, You know, we had in-person reports and, you know, Baseball America has also talked about just, like, his body, like, isn't really great. Like, he, you know, he he needs to get in better shape, which could help him, I guess. But, um, you know, we still have him at two just because he's 20. There is pedigree. There's power. Um, And then Victor Torres was a former 11th round pick out of Puerto Rico. He's super young, too. He's, like, an elite defender that hasn't really hit very often. And then we put Manuel Garamond on our list as well, who was an international signing last year. So, you know, the 17 year old hit 317, 378, 366 in the Dominican Summer League in, you know, only 110 plate appearances, but it was good for a weighted runs created of 116. You know, the White Sox have been pretty aggressive with these guys. So my guess is he's in Arizona this year and, you know, keep an eye on him. But, you know, after. I guess Perez, it's a, it's a pretty young group
0: overall. So as we move along here, let's, let's talk about relievers and Jasper Roos took care of our reliever list on futuresocks.com right-handed and left-handed James who jumps out at you. I think Luke Schilling is an interesting name. Somebody who dealt with a major surgery as well as Caleb Freeman who didn't suffer a major surgery. However, this is a player that you liked dating back to early last year a couple of right-handers there. There's also a left-handed list as well. Anybody that jumps out at you uh, among the relievers in the White Sox system?
1: Yeah, so I think Caleb Freeman's really good. I mean, he's he's one of the guys that um, Nick Hostetler told us about, like, that they really, really liked. I mean, he started in Texas t- at Texas Tech a little bit and was kind of bad. And then, you know, he was really good in the Cape Cod League, um, like, just – in shorter outings where they thought like, okay, maybe this is a reliever. I mean, he is 23. He was taken in the 15th round out of Texas tech, but he's, he's moved pretty quick. Like I think he's probably in Birmingham this year. Um, And then he could, you know, if he's good, like he could make his big league debut this year. So yeah, that's a, uh, that's an interesting guy. I think he, he, you know, we haven't done our top 30 yet. I wouldn't be surprised if he's the only reliever on it. But, you know, we'll see kind of once we get there. And then Luke Schilling is super interesting. James Fegan profiled him last year. You know, he was taken, you know, back in like 2017 or 2018. He got hurt right away and the White Sox released him, you know. And then Fegan's article on him is really good where it just talks about how he basically worked his way back. The White Sox re-signed him to a minor league deal. You know, scouts thought that he had the best stuff, like, in the minor leagues last year of all White Sox relievers. He was at Winston-Salem. He was soon going to move to Birmingham. And honestly, I wouldn't have been surprised if he pitched in the big leagues last year. Like His stuff was really, really good. Well, then he got hurt, and he had Tommy John, um, and he missed the rest of the season. So the White Sox did bring him back. I would imagine—I don't know if he'll miss the entire 2022 season. Like, he could make it back— but I mean, his stuff was so good that he still ranks second on a list like this. I mean, that just kind of tells you, you know, how good he was last year. So you know, he's a guy that we might have to wait a little bit for, but it's definitely like high leverage, like relief upside there. So and then you know, like McKinley, more more of a thrower than a pitcher still at this point. Throws really hard. He's six foot six. Um, you know, he he was ranked. I believe I don't I don't know if he'll still be ranked and then after that it's just you know there's a couple of the the White Sox kind of loaded up in this most recent draft Taylor Broadway was the closer at Ole Miss Johnny Ray was you know pitched in relief um, for Texas Christian so you know those are guys that we haven't really seen that much but they'll be relievers in the White Sox system and then you still have your Will Kincannon and Tyler Johnson and Alec Hansen wasn't on this list, but you know, you can kind of lump like some of those guys together who, you know, with a couple of good months could be in the big leagues, whatever.
0: Bennett Sousa among the left-handed relievers uh, on Jasper's lift over at futuresocks.com. round draft pick out of the university of Virginia. Sousa's 26 uh, looking to turn 27 in April. As I check out his numbers, you know, split time in Birmingham and Charlotte last season and made 22 appearances over 47 innings. Uh, had a sub-4 ERA at three sixty one combined and held his own in Charlotte, too. Had a sub-4 ERA in Charlotte over 22 and two-thirds innings. Uh, a guy who struck out 33 in those 22 and two-thirds and only walked five. So that's a strike thrower very close to making a, a big league appearance for the White Sox. And that's Bennett Salzo among the left-handers. So check out that list as well if you're more in, interested uh, in checking out the relievers that we ranked among the best in the White Sox system. Now, James, let's talk corner infield. This is a, a list that we included essentially all third basemen because that's the best uh, options that the White Sox have at the corner spots. However, when we were discussing it, you and I, you said that a lot of the men in the list can ultimately become first basemen down the line, um, possibly. And anyway, what do you mean by that? Who do you believe could turn into first basemen, and and uh, what do you like about some of the players that you listed in the top five? So I do
1: think this is one of the more interesting lists of the ones that we did. I think there is, I mean, I think there's debate at one. And I think we talked about it. Like I put Wes Kath at one, you know, he did struggle a little bit in his draft year, 19 years old, hits left-handed. Everybody knows Wes Kath by now, because we've talked about him a whole bunch after taking him out of high school, you know, his big power potential. He did go to Arizona and struggle a little bit, but you know, I think this is the year that, you know, we'll kind of see what Wes Kath is and we ranked Jake Berger second if you wanted to put jake berger first like I, I wouldn't have any arguments like obviously jake berger made it back 25 years old made his big league debut hit a homer look pretty good in the big league so you know berger could factor in you know to the 2022 big league team or you know get you something pretty nice in a trade i think so he you know it, it, you want to flip those two i get it brian ramos um he's still only 20 years old somehow um you know, likely goes to Winston Salem. He was good again in Kannapolis. He's a top twelve-ish prospect in this system that I think our readers and listeners kind of know by now. You know, he was he was signed out of Cuba for very little money, but you know he's had a, he's had a pretty good career in the minor league so far. Then after that, I mean, it stays international. Wilfred Varus was a guy. He's the cousin of Elijah Tatis, and while Tatis has struggled, Varus, like hasn't he went to he never played in the DSL because of the 2020 season but he hit 322 416 533 with a 147 WRC plus in Arizona you know and he hit four homers Sean had really good things to say about him like when he saw him in Arizona so I guess you're the the worry with Wilfred is that he ends up at first potentially and then he's really gonna have to hit but I mean you know as a 200 $200,000 Two hundred thousand dollars signing. This is pretty good, and I wouldn't be surprised if he's in Canapolis with your West Cath and Colson Montgomery group next year. And then the White Sox always seemingly add guys like this, like third base power prospects. They gave Victor Cisada out of the Dominican Republic five hundred and twenty-five k last January, and he was pretty solid in the Dominican summer league. Um, he he had a 120 WRC plus in that league, 14% walk rate. So you know that's a guy to keep an eye on going forward. He's likely stateside this year in Arizona. So yeah, like while while the list isn't you know in the past like we've we've combined them because there weren't. Like enough high upside prospects at third base, and we've kind of had Andrew Vaughn and Sheets on the list. Like now there were five solid first basemen, and I also, you know, threw DJ Gladney on there who who struggled quite a bit last year, but is still very young, and obviously he could end up at first or third. So you know, six names on there for the readers to take a look
0: at. Boy, I'm uh, such a fan of the way Westcath looks. Like, I'm in love with the kid's frame, uh, the way he moves athletically, and I love his swing. So this is you know, a very young player freshly drafted out of high school that we are obviously allowed to develop, but he's got the size, and I, I love the build. So that's somebody definitely to keep an eye on, the number one overall corner infield prospect the White Sox have in their system, Westcath. That was by James Fox as well on futuresox.com. Now, we're going to talk outfielders, but I want to save that for last because there's some international pieces among our list in the outfielders so we'll save that for a little bit also though starting pitchers we'll talk about that here in a second first though middle infielders and you know i hopped on the locked on white Sox podcast with sean anderson and he asked me if there were prospects that were untouchable in the trade market this year who would they be and i included colson montgomery james i had to do it only because of the, poten- the, the potential there. Uh, and I understand the windows now, and you, you want to be able to make sacrifices to win a World Series. I get it. But uh, call me crazy, but I, I want to have Colson Montgomery in the system for the entirety of at least his early stages of development because I think there's some real promise in the first-round draft pick of last season. And then we can you know look down the list. And Jose Rodriguez, this, like this is – probably their best crop of prospects collectively amongst the system right there in the middle infield. Wouldn't you agree?
1: Yeah, I agree. And obviously some of that is, you know, it's because of, you know, the, like Jose Rodriguez, the rise of Jose Rodriguez, right? A guy that we've talked about for years. Like we didn't think he was going to make it to double A. He got some exposure in the AFL, which is good. I mean, he could really take off to the point where, you know, like uncertainty at second base in the big leagues, right? Like, like Jose Rodriguez, if you told me was in the majors late this year, like, I, I guess I'd be a little surprised, but like, I mean, not, not totally surprised. Cause if he hits at Birmingham, like we always talk about that, like you're, you're kind of knocking on the doorstep. I agree with you on Colson Montgomery. We still have him one, all, everything we've heard from people that we trust is Colson Montgomery is going to stick at shortstop. And with all the draft prep we did and stuff like he was he was the rumored name and at first it kind of seemed like okay a little bit of high school bat that is going to get too big and outgrow shortstop right but then the more people saw him the more they were like yeah he's big but he's going to stick there and you know he had a solid debut just in in the fact that he walked a lot you know he didn't really hit for power and we don't we don't look too much at that first pro season like in your draft year and this is the first time that he's not playing three sports so I mean he could really take off like I agree with you like the White Sox aren't in the stage right now where they should be prospect hugging but trading Colson Montgomery right now doesn't make any sense because this is the kind of kid who really takes off at Canapolis, and then he's a top 100 guy and he just like kind of moves up this list. And, you know, then you could get a lot more for him later. Like if he's not in your plans, like people should be excited about Colson Montgomery. This is, it's a good pick. I, you know, I think it'll be a debate, a hotly contested debate that all of us have about the number one prospect in the system, like whether it's Colson Montgomery or Norhe Vera, but you know, those two guys are, are both pretty good. And like, like you said, like it, you know, one of the reasons why this list is the best list is Romy Gonzalez, you know, really burst onto the scene and had an awesome year and made his big league debut. And then Yolbert Sanchez, like quietly was pretty good last year and he's, he's fourth on this list. So, you know, yeah, I think it's, I think it's definitely the best group, you know, and the, you know, the starting pitching group's not bad either. So saying that the the shortstop group is the best one, you know, in a in a not great system, you know, this is where
0: the most names are, I would say. Right. If, if you feel like your strength is in the middle infield, in your farm system that, you know, across the league is ranked among the bottom, if not the worst at this point, I think that's going to improve over the next draft class, as well as the international signing period. Like the White Sox are going to improve the system. But we saw this happening from a mile away. Like this was a transition season for the farm system to sort of reload. And they did that in the draft, especially taking chances on some of these high school picks that they made, including some of the starting pitchers like Tanner McDougal, uh, who we'll hit on here in a second. Uh, You mentioned Norge Vera, and he's among the starting pitchers that we'll have included in the list. But that was the other piece that I said are untouchables. Like hang on to Colson Montgomery, hang on to Norge Vera. You said Colson Montgomery could stick at shortstop. A lot of scouts have said his feet are made for the position. He he is able to like maintain a consistent base and a good platform to throw, and he's got a strong arm and he can move like he's athletic enough and he's got enough bend to play the position uh, throughout the entirety of a professional career, which is obviously outstanding. And he's a left-handed bat, so you know let's, let's keep an eye on Colson Montgomery, just like how I said West Kath, uh, and we talked about too. Like James, you mentioned it, who will be the number one overall prospect in the top 30 list. And my vote is going to be spoiler alert to Norhe Vera. I, I'm just in love with the kid, uh, but you know, it's not going to be an easy decision with Colson Montgomery there as well. Uh, and to round out the middle infield, this is Wilbur Sanchez, who we ranked 29th in the midseason top 30 for the white Sox. And he played it at low a last year as well. So, you know, a, a healthy crop of middle infielders is what you like to see. Yolbert Sanchez, shout out to, what we hope to assume to be potentially a utility player at the big league level can play second base for you. He's not the answer by any means, neither is Romy Gonzalez at this point. You know, At the big league level, the White Sox do need to find a second baseman who can fill out 600 plate appearances. However, it's not a bad thing to have a couple of those pieces like Romy Gonzalez and Gilbert Sanchez there as healthy depth in the farm. So again, you read up on this list, Sleepy Herald, our guy Steve Hasman, Wrote it up, did a great job of detailing all the middle infielders on futuresox.com. Now, James, that'll take us to the starting pitchers. Uh, as this podcast rolls along, we talked about Norje Vera there briefly. I didn't read it yet because it's not completed, at least at this point of the recording. However, when you are listening to this, I'm sure you'll be able to check it out on futuresox.com. Without even thinking, I'm assuming that Norje Vera is number one. And then it gets into the interesting names that we sort of pack together the high schoolers and Dahlquist and Thompson and McDougal Sean Burke who made his professional debut this year who was very encouraging Uh, I I think again the White Sox despite being among the bottom feeders in the farm system currently they did a nice job addressing the depth at starting pitcher now not immediately now we're not going to count on a lot of the guys to be called up from Charlotte and you'll see them in the White Sox big league club in 2022 however Two to three years down the road, a lot of the names that we keep filtering in currently on these podcasts, you're going to see at the big league level, hopefully just based on where they where the potential stands this early in their professional career.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you would be correct as to like number one, right? Like no, Norie Vera is the number one pitching prospect in the system. Obviously, you know, we talked to James Feagan about him quite a bit. Like I understand I guess um, just if you're not not being skeptical, but you just like need to see it somewhere else, right? Because he only pitched in the Dominican Republic, but what we saw was stellar. I mean, it was eight games, zero ERA, struck out thirty-four hitters, and walked just five um, in nineteen innings. So, you know, when he signed there were kind of reports that he was sitting 91 to 93 with his fastball. And that was a decrease from what it was previously. And the White Sox signed him for one and a half million anyway. And then he dealt with some shoulder like impingement or, you know, sore shoulder where he didn't pitch and now he's throwing a hundred. So, I mean, he he's got the athletic build of a starter and he can add even more. Like he's very, very exciting. I, I would imagine you know, he starts in Winston-Salem, and then he, he could move quickly from there. That's why I don't really think him pitching in the Dominican really hurt him much last year. So this is a year where, you know, he's the guy to watch. Now, you know, the rest of this, I feel like it's kind of a toss-up. Like, you know, we have the three prep arms that we obviously always lump together. And Jared Kelly had a really tough year, but I still think... You know, of the three, Jared Kelly, Matthew Thompson, Andrew Dahlquist, I think Jared Kelly still has the highest ceiling. He battled injuries to his shoulder, forearm. He was lifted early from starts multiple times. And obviously something you can touch on after this with all of them, like we've talked about how hard it was to pitch in Canapolis. Like the White Sox have a 30 pitch per inning rule, but they had a ton of kids playing behind them that honestly, like, you know, probably weren't ready for low A and this would happen all the time. Like a guy throw 33 pitches and then they're done for the day. And they'd pitch again five days later, you know, just because of poor defense and some other stuff. So, you know, Kelly's K rate was pretty good. He only threw 23 innings last year. So, but he had, you know, 27 strikeouts, 26 walks. The walks are a new thing for him. That wasn't like something that you know, was a concern coming in, you know, the fastball is still premium. Um, the changeup's still really good. So he has to develop a third pitch. You know, they, they, they've worked on the slider. And obviously we've talked about conditioning with him at nauseum. Like he, he's just, you know, he's going to have to fix it, but I will say I've talked to some who kind of thought that the white Sox with him might've tried to change too much too soon. And that led to, some of the injuries with him. And then they kind of scrapped it and went right back to the basics. And Chris gets even told James Fegan, like, you know, they're focusing on the raw elements, like in spite of the rough statistical debut. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, they did. Getz has said that those three guys, Jared Kelly, Matthew Thompson, Andrew Dahlquist are all still expected to go to Winston Salem next year. You know, just keep moving them on along. They're going to go to high A. So you know, Andrew Dahlquist has always been seen as like kind of safer than Matthew Thompson, but Matthew Thompson has the better stuff and he's more athletic. So, you know, you could flip-flop those guys at three or four, I would think. So, um, but then at that point, you're getting into, like, I put Sean Burke fifth after, you know, talking to some people and talking to the other writers. I do know Baseball America has Sean rank, Sean Burke ranked as the ninth prospect in the system. So, you know, 6'6, 230 pound righty out of Maryland. He was their third rounder. Walks are definitely an issue. Um, but you know, he did get over slot 900 k um, 20 strikeouts, 10 walks with a 321 ERA in 14 innings. You know, he did pitch at Canapolis. So I think he probably goes to Winston-Salem too. And, you know, finishing or getting to double A at least, very real possibility for for Sean Burke next year. And then, you know, Stever Lambert, Stever got hurt. He's probably going to miss part of the next season, but you know, his, he, he wasn't as bad at Charlotte as some of the numbers indicate that place is a really tough place to pitch. Jimmy Lambert, you know, Rob Young's favorite guy, shout out to Rob Young. He, uh, you know, he can pitch for the White Sox on this year. I don't know what the role is. We could, you know, it could be relief or starting. He's on this list as well. And then Tanner McDougall, Guy that we're very excited about that you mentioned he he's going to have Tommy John surgery. Um, you can listen to a previous podcast with Fegan, you know, talk to Chris Getz, and you know they were going to be careful with him anyway, and now they're going to be very careful with him just because you know he's going to miss the whole season. But he's so young, you know, that you know it shouldn't hurt him too much. And then the list is rounded out with Jason Billis, who was added to the forty man roster recently. I interviewed him. Um, as well uh, last week. And I'll have something on the website, you know, with with that interview and some of the stuff that we talked about, which was interesting. And then, you know, our 23rd-ranked prospect at midseason, Christian Mena, Dominican uh, righty, made his debut stateside this year too. And then, you know, there's Cade McClure as well, who has served as pitching depth for the White Sox, wasn't added – um, to the 40-man roster so he's rule five eligible so you know whenever the players and owners get it together and you know get this thing rolling there is going to be a rule five draft he's actually a candidate to be taken and possibly go elsewhere so you know we'll I'm sure talk about his status again on the podcast later on
0: yeah I mean that like you went through the names and just it's reassuring because you know obviously the value of having starting pitching depth but the young cluster that you know, hopefully, if, if two or three turn into something valuable at the big league level, that is a huge win. Now we don't know how their careers are going to take, but hey, like this is, this is what you do in, in building a farm system, and especially regarding Tanner McDougal, you have that luxury of when you take a high school arm or a high school position player, and they get hurt like this, you're not sacrificing age 22 seasons, uh, compared to when you're drafting a college player. You know, so it, it makes you feel a little better knowing that there's there's time invested into this development process for a lot of the young arms. And if if they can make it in advanced A to begin the year and talking Dahlquist and Thompson, like the value is there and you you want to see them continue to improve. Like Jerry Kelly's case, want to see him be able to throw pitches for strikes other than his fastball. Now, you can have great stuff, but you got obviously those who are listening to this podcast know pitchers know how to locate. <laughs> That's how you mix speeds and locate. That's how you get guys out as a starting pitcher. So lots to be excited about, personally for me, at least in the starting pitching list. And you mentioned Jimmy Lambert, he's gonna pitch in the big leagues this year. Jonathan Stever as well at some point if if all goes well and he's healthy and he's able to reacclimate to a uh, high level competition in triple A once he's back on a mount. So uh Sean Burke too, the frame, six six, two thirty. Gimme that. Hard thrower. Gimme that. You fix it a little bit mechanically and you can throw strikes consistently, boom. This is a guy who could be a fast riser. And um, yeah. So color me uh, very intrigued by the starting pitchers. I love starting pitching. Love talking about it. Can talk about it all the time. It'll be good for these young uh, high school arms that we have in our top 30, high up ranked in our top 30 to get out of Canapolis, Like James mentioned, just a lot of young players who can't play professional baseball, like the unearned runs allowed or the extra pitches per plate appearance or per inning because of bad defensive play, it adds up and it matters. And, you know, you can see for yourself if you look by the game logs how it's affected a number of pitchers in the White Sox system this year. All right, final list, and this is why I wanted to save it for last. We can transition as well into the international signing period upcoming. James, you're all over it, and I appreciate it because it's still a mystery to me. Oscar Colas and Eric Hernandez, a couple of players that the White Sox are reportedly linked and interested and in signed. Like You can speak way better on it than I can. However, we plan to include those two names in our outfield list uh, unless something's changed and you have the call on that as well. So let's get this straightened out. Talk to us about Oscar Colas again, as well as uh, a newcomer, a top 30 international prospect in this upcoming year, in Eric Hernandez. So the White Sox are finally signing Oscar Colas. Like this is, you know, it should
1: be next Saturday, obviously. Nothing is really going on with baseball, but the international signing period is slated to still happen because none of these players will be 40 man roster players. Um, none of them are getting big league deals. So you might have baseball on your timeline. If you, you know, scroll Twitter next Saturday, you'll see the, and I always like the photos and the videos of these kids signing. Cause like their dream comes true. You know, they live in the Dominican Republic or Venezuela and they're signing with the team and they have their hat out. And I always think it's kind of cool, but MLB Pipeline has Oscar Colas as a fifth-ranked prospect in the international market. Um, he is 23, so he's a little bit older. Bats left, throws left. He's a corner outfielder. You know, I, I, we tweeted from the Future Sox account today. I don't know if you saw the, uh, the picture of Oscar Colas. He looks so much different than he kind of did. Like, it looks like he, you know, he defected from Cuba, and then the conditioning seemed to be an issue. But now he, he looks like he's in really good shape. Um, He's no longer pitching. So it is, you know, MLB Pipeline has him 60-grade power. That's the carrying tool. He hasn't really played that much in the last couple of years. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see just, like, how long it takes him to transition. My fear, you know, everybody and – you know, some people are gonna be angry like hearing this or if they don't know already. Like there I think there's a good chance that he's in the Dominican Republic this year, kinda of like Noriega Vera was. It hurts a little bit more for Colos, so like you really want him stateside if you can get him there. But we've you know, we've been over this with the bonuses. It's just weird because he's you know, he's signing a contract in January for for this year, and for him to like keep his entire bonus, like it seems like he has to stay in the Dominican Republic for an extended period. So Um, that, that's kind of frustrating, but you'd rather have the player than not have him. The White Sox are, you know, scheduled to sign him for $2.7 million, which we've talked about, you know, it's a pretty good chunk. Um, that's like half of their bonus pool. He's currently training in the Dominican Republic. You know, he's been at their facility. So my guess is the White Sox will go through, you know, the whole spectacle of, you know, they'll tweet about Oscar Colas and stuff like next Saturday, kind of similar to how they handled, Cespedes and Vera last year now the other thing you mentioned you know one of the issues that I've had with the White Sox in the international market and others have had too is that they just they don't really commit big dollars to some of the top names you look at the top names and they're 16 year olds and you know some of these guys get three four five million dollars the White Sox don't typically do that Um, but this year they did dip their toes a little bit Eric Hernandez is a 16-year-old year um, left-handed hitting outfielder um, out of the Dominican Republic. And it's kind of kind of interesting. Like, baseball or uh, MLB Pipeline compares him to Juan Soto. Like they said, Hernandez likes Soto as a solid hitter as a teen and can hit the ball to all fields. So, obviously, like, look, I don't think anybody expects him to be Juan Soto. I've heard that the deal is, like, around a million dollars, which is significant. Six-foot, 175. I think, um, you know, he's... He's the type of guy that could be stateside like in a hurry, so I'm really like interested to hear about others who like actually see him play and play soon, and even some of the stuff that the White Sox have to say about him because like some of that stuff's interesting. Like when the scouts talk, like I'm sure Marco Patti will talk and talk about why he likes him and whatnot. But I mean, he is the number 28 ranked prospect at Pipeline in this class. You know, he's supposed to have a very advanced approach at the plate. Um, with the ability to adjust the one thing he's done is he's like played really well like in game so he's not it's he's not just like a showcase kid okay so you know lean and athletic with lots of room to grow and add strength you know he can play all three outfield positions probably ends up in a corner i would imagine um so this one's exciting i've said that i think this is the highest upside teenager that they've signed on this market since fernando tatis jr i mean with a 60 graded projected hit tool already i mean you read this profile of him and it's like oh how is he ranked 28th you know so you know that's the market's weird and guys agree to deals years in advance and then all of a sudden you know they they sprout up three or four inches and you know they're like totally different players the one thing the, the other thing i will note um is like if you look at the list at baseball america he's like ranked 48th for them i believe but ben badler at baseball america um made a change like so with the pandemic and everything that went on he hasn't seen these kids in years and he just like doesn't like the subjectivity of like ranking by talent so baseball america's list is ranked by signing bonus so you know, him being 48th is kind of irrelevant. It just means that like he's getting a million dollars and there's 40 some players that are getting more than that. So that's all it is. So like when you look at that list, um, that's the differentiator. That's not like a true top 50 list at Baseball America.
0: Well, there you go. There you have it. James Fox on top of everything. You mentioned the Jason Billis interview. Do you want to throw a little uh, a teaser for our listeners here? Talk about what stood out to you. Maybe one thing that you learned about Bellis, the right-handed starter potentially for the White Sox in that interview you had with him?
1: So he, you know, he didn't, uh, I always like to take him back to the draft and he wasn't expecting the White Sox to take him just because like they didn't have much contact with him. And you know, when you read about him, he was he was a top 200 draft prospect at MLB Pipeline. So, you know, right away, I'm doing our draft coverage. And I'm like, oh, this is like an interesting guy. Because, you know, they took him in round 13. And it seems like he just walked a lot of guys, you know. So, and even in the system, he he kind of walked a lot of guys the first two years. I was kind of surprised that the White Sox kept him starting. Because he's the total, you know, type of guy who they would convert to relief you know, and kind of fast track into the majors. And instead, they're kind of using him as a back end starter, which he profiles as so, you know, he really cut the walk rate last year. That's the stuff that they've been working on with him. So, you know, he was, uh, it, w- it was a fun interview, you know, he seemed very happy, obviously, to be a 40 man roster player after not really expecting it. I mean, he's he's a guy that did kind of, you know, I don't want to say he came out of nowhere, because we knew who he was, but you know, he's like a lock, like top 25 prospect in the system. And he was unranked for a couple of years, even after his draft year. So, um, you know, look for that. That's interesting. He's, you know, he's got a chance. I mean, obviously the White Sox are probably going to add pitching. Right. But when you're on the 40 man, like we've seen, like guys just get called up, like, you know, maybe he's pitching in relief. That's the other thing he said. I asked him, if he if he really wanted to be a starter, and he said that he really wanted to pitch
0: in the big leagues. So, yeah. you know,
1: basically, if they call on him to pitch in relief, that's what he'll be doing.
0: Well, it sounds like somebody who can handle it if, if he's able to throw in the upper 90s, and if you're developing as a starter, you can handle an inning and two-thirds in the big league level out of the bullpen. You know, it's obviously not uh, the same deal, the process, in terms of coming up out of relief and pitching on potentially – Uh, two out of three days, something like that. It's just, you know, it's a lot of fun. You, I love the way that you brought up that a a guy can come out of nowhere quickly. And that's what we saw in Romy Gonzalez in 2021, in large part due to the fact that there was no chance for him to excel in 2020. Uh, In 2019, we saw flashes of Gonzalez, for example, finally made it happen in 21 and he made his major league debut last year. So those types of stories happen all the time in minor league baseball, which is part of the reason why we love it. And we love the coverage that James Fox and the rest of our future Sox staff uh, covers for you. I really appreciate the support as always, as we look forward to 2022, as well as like what we talked about, like one final thing before we wrap this up, and we talked about the immediate need James at the big league level and what the White Sox can pluck from at, the minor league level within their farm system. And it's, you know, they added pieces to the 40-man roster, but when, when it really does come down to it, and we could talk big league here as we wrap up the podcast, the White Sox need to add contributors to the big league level because realistically, if this is a World Series club, yeah, you have depth in the farm that you can get by with that could hold their own at the big league level, but you need consistency at the big league level which indicates to me the White Sox are going to have to make some sort of move for a second baseman, and I would love another starting pitcher. Um, and then, the, the you know, obviously the last bit of need is, is really backup catcher in right field. However, in terms of priority, I just I just wonder how the White Sox are going to play this offseason once things kick off again and, and what happens to Craig Kimbrel. I'd love to get your take quickly. So
1: obviously like I think Craig Kimbrell gets traded. I just don't know whether that's gonna be for help or whether it's gonna be for prospects and then they kinda add around that. You know, I'm I'm really you know, I'm hoping for Michael Conforto. I've heard about, you know, their interest in Michael Conforto. Others have, you know, kind of said conflicting things, obviously, but I think that's the guy that's on the free agent market that can help you the most. I think you can kind of find second base personally. I think you need to fix right field. Um, I don't love the idea of while I like Andrew Vaughn quite a bit as you do, and I think Gavin Sheets is very useful. I don't like the idea of that being your right field solution. I'd kind of like those guys to be like extra, and then you can use them at first base and DH along with Abreu. I think they need to fix right field. Sign Michael Conforto. He's he's perfect for this lineup. And then there's lots of second base options via trade, I believe. So you know, and then they, they're going to need a kind of a lot of pitching still. I think like we've we've talked about. Just with Dallas Keuchel and Michael Kopech as your four and five right now, like I, I think you could argue that they need two starters. So, you know, we'll mm-hmm. see. I think the White Sox are going to be pretty active whenever uh, whenever they're allowed to be again. Whenever whenever this gets rolling, I think, you know, they're going to be ready to strike and add some players. I don't know how much they're going to spend, but I mean, it's a, it's already probably a franchise high record payroll. So we'll see. And right, I think they're gonna make some noise, you know, whenever that is.
0: Yeah, I you know I agree with you that in the right field, I want it to be a priority for the White Sox. However, I just feel like they need somebody at second base first. You know, I want that position locked down. Give me somebody consistent. And I'm with you as well. Like I'd prefer not to have Sheets and Vaughn and Engel and uh, Leary Garcia lumped into that mix as well. Like you're trying to win a World Series. You're not trying to get by and make the playoffs and lose in the ALDS. And to do that, I would like that position to be solidified as well. Not to take any credit away from Sheets and Vaughn, but like you said, you know, those guys right now uh, could be used as valuable depth as opposed to a rotating platoon in right field. Um, it's just I, I just think of how how aggressive the White Sox do wanna be and how they wanna tie their hands to some of these players and some of these positions and contracts and cap space, like it all comes into play just based on the way the Whites have operated. You've seen them go conservative in right field and it's, and it's hurt them. You know, the, the Adam Eaton was a failure. and Omar Mazzaro was a failure when really, you know, Conforto was available when, when Adam Eaton, like that could have been a possibility when Adam Eaton was signed. And I know they didn't land Jock Peterson, but you know, things, Things could have been different. Um, it's just interesting to kind of think about all the different avenues the White Sox could have taken, and yet they chose the way they did in right field over the last several years. So,
1: I will say yeah. the outfield. I mean, the outfield market hasn't really moved, so there are options. Yeah. Like, you know, while I I would love it to be Michael Conforto, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, even if it is like a Jack Peterson type, like I think while. People are entitled to feel like that isn't enough and I would generally agree. Like, I do think a player is added there just because of the sheer number of guys that are still available. I mean, we saw the signing frenzy before the lockout, but the outfield didn't really have a dent at all. I mean, those guys are all still free agents right now.
0: Yeah, we'll see. Hopefully, you know, the White Sox do make us all happy. <laughs> I don't oh, they like won't I they
1: won't make us all happy. That's no, not, that's, true. that's that's impossible. that's not gonna happen. And the one you know, just you know, for the record, and I, I've put yes. this on Twitter, but Oscar Kolos will not be the twenty twenty two right fielder. So okay. I don't know. not yeah, I don't I don't need that <sighs> question asked. So
0: I don't know. He looks ready to me, just based on that photo we tweeted over at the Future Sex account. Uh, good to see him, nice and athletic. Uh, also, in my Kyle Schwarber? Sean brought that up on the podcast with Locked On White Sox. Kyle Schwarber would be fun. I heard. I heard that. But,
1: I. Yeah. Yeah. Sean Anderson talking about Kyle Schwarber. I'm. I'm good with that. I just, you know, mm-hmm. I think he's. I think he's got a DH. So then, yeah. like, I guess what you would have to play. Andrew Vaughn yeah. in right field I mean I'm going right. to steal this from Josh Nelson but it's like what ty- Andrew tired is Andrew Vaughn in right field wired is Andrew Vaughn second baseman for the white
0: Sox. so <laughs> I'm in and we can shift in just
1: we can just shift around it
0: yeah he could do it I'm sure he could do it put him at shortstop why not that's James Fox of Future Sox he's our uh, lead editor at the site my name is Mike Rankin thanks so much for joining us here on the Future Sox podcast. We will have more information as the international signing period commences. Uh, check us out at futuresox.com for our lists that we just went over on this podcast. Get more information there. Again, thanks to all of our staff for uh, working on that diligently and getting that out in a manner. We're also going to have our top 30 list coming up. What do you think, James? Probably in February, I think we could assume.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I think it might be a little later than we normally do it just because I feel like we should wait because there's going to be like a signing and trade frenzy. But we'll see. We'll decide and uh, let you know when that's going to happen.
0: All right. We will adjust on the fly as we typically do over at Future Sox. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Future Sox podcast. We'll talk to you all next time.